And and I'm proud to have I'm pr- I'm proud to have of, of you know done my tiny weeny little bit for I don't know the oceans or whatever it is the forests and 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 in the end who cares we're human in the end we're not journalists we're human. Welcome to Sustainable 96. Sustainable 96, Crikey Moses. We are your friendly little environment podcast, all about people and the planet and the guff. And how come we can't see through the guff a bit more and just do what is right, isn't we? Oh. And we are. Shut up. You always, you always ask me that question. It's a re- don't wait for an answer. It's a rhetorical device. Um, what have we got coming up this week then? Oh, well, this week, Dave, we have got a very, very exciting interview with a very, very excellent person. We are speaking to John Vidal, who is a journalist uh, and for a long time was the environment editor of The Guardian. 27 years, been, wasn't it? 27 long years. Yeah. He has been there, seen it, done it. Uh, in many ways, done some crazy, crazy things, which we'll talk about. Got nicked for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Got nicked for doing it, been in prisons, all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, an incredible uh, working life covering the stuff that we talk about on this podcast. So we're delighted to talk about him. And, and pre- uh, specifically, we start off talking to him about this extraordinary story he wrote about in the Observer recently covering peatlands in the Democratic Republic of Congo. What no one really knew were there and turns out a massive and turns out a really important. So we asked him all about that. Yeah, and then we also, we just asked him some general stuff after that. A good old chat about like uh, all of the stuff he's done, the crazy situations he's got himself into and where he thinks it's all at now. It was great. I really enjoyed it. He's a lovely man. Um, just the usual disclaimer before we start. We do work for environment charities, but these are very much our own views. And of course, John's own views. So if you've got any beef with anything that we say, take it up with me or him or him, but not with anyone for whom we work. Yes? Absolutely. Right. Enjoy this interview. We very much did. So, hello, John. Hello. Hi. 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 Thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Um, We have been uh, reading your stuff for years and years and years and are very excited to talk to you about it. But specifically, we we read about this extraordinary story in the Congo um, published in in the Observer recently. Tell us us everything that's going on in the Congo and, and why it's important. Well, uh, the Congo is linked always with chaos and corruption and disaster and war and problems and human rights abuses. Uh, This was a very, very good news science story, really, uh, which may have huge implications for climate change over the next 20, 30, 50 years. Um, Basically, two British scientists, um, a girl from the Shetland Islands and a professor who was an old road protester, actually, um, had discovered via satellite analysis of uh, forestry in right on the equator in, in, in Congo DRC. This is the big Congo. 
that the peat uh, believed to be below the, the swamps there uh, around the river Congo were actually much, much greater than was ever thought. And so for the last five years, they've been researching this in all kinds of different ways. And they've been going out there and, uh, I mean, really just um, um, living in, in, in the swamps um, and, and testing at every point to see how deep the peat is. <laughs> Peat um, is just decomposed matter, or partly decomposed matter, and actually is very, very common in in tropical areas because where it's waterlogged, um, the uh, the soil, the vegetation cannot decompose, and therefore it builds up as peat. So what they were finding was that uh, it was maybe ten feet, four meters deep, um, and they calculated, and it was a big paper in Nature a couple of months ago, six months ago that there were 30 billion tons of peat um, in this particular area. Nobody had any idea that it was this much. I mean, really, people had estimated there was maybe half a million tons, something like that. Nobody knew. So it was a great scientific discovery. Um, and uh, that represents, because peat is a, um, a carbon sink, it basically holds onto the carbon, um, and um, that represents two or three years' worth of global emissions. So it's a fantastically good news story. It means that there's, 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 um, there's intact pieces in very, very good condition. No one has damaged it yet, um, and therefore it will stay as a, as a fantastic you know, global resource um, for, 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 for the world. Um, so that was all tremendously good news. Except, um, I couldn't help but notice you used a few words there like yet. Yeah. Uh, no, mm. Nobody has damaged it yet, you said. Yeah. Um, and, so so what, how do you go about damaging it? Are they going to damage it? And what's going on? Well, to, to, to see what could happen, um, swing right the way to the east and go to Sumatra, Kalimantan, uh, and the peatlands of uh, Indonesia. And there, again, tropical peatlands um, was exactly the same. Swamp forest, vast great swamp forest, which the palm uh, growers and the rubber planters and whoever else uh, discovered in Sahata's time. And they drained the swamps very, very quickly. They felled the trees, vast, vast deforestation, and they have replanted the whole area with with mile upon mile upon mile of homogenous, uh, ghastly um, uh, palm uh, trees. Um, and the danger is that exactly the same could happen in, in Congo DRC. Um, how you would do it, it's very, very easy to do it. You just, you do, you, you just drain it, um, and then you, you log it very, very quickly. So in, in, in three, four years, you could log the whole thing, and you could drain it, and you could be planting more palm or whatever on, on it. At the same time, you know, the never under, misunderstand the, um, the intentions of most Congo politicians. These guys have PhDs in corruption. They, they can run <laughs> absolutely anybody. They are more corrupt than probably anybody. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but you know, good luck to them in a way. I mean, they have to. I mean, we were we were we were with a, the, the forestry minister from Equatorial uh, Province, and he said we were interviewing him, and uh, he um, 
he, after about 10 minutes, he said, now you must give us $50. We said, no, we don't pay for interviews. <laughs> he said, "He said no, we have to pay. And I said, why do you have to pay? He said, look, I get $50, $50 a week, and I'm meant to be the, the, the governor, effectively, of this problem. How can I live on that? I cannot do it. So I have to ask people for money, and they pay me. So the logging companies pay him. The absolutely everybody pays him. And it's kind of like a tax. You talk to someone, you, you want they, they, they give you money. The corruption is so endemic that it's very difficult to see any, any way where um, ordinary rules would apply. And the danger is that the, uh, the, 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 the logging companies are moving in on that, in that area, from the Cameroon, from Little Congo, further north, um, from the south and wherever. So it's not inevitable, but, but it's, you know, it's within sight. It's in the sights of quite a lot of people. And the very great danger is that there's been a moratorium in Congo on new logging for the last 12, 13 years. Um, and, uh, but Congo backed, you're going to believe it, backed by Norway um, and by Britain and by others has applied and is, is intending to lift the moratorium on logging and because the logging concessions overlap with quite a lot of the peatland um, there is a real you know a, a, a much greater immediate danger than we ever thought so is the story is moving on quite quickly um, but the reality is that we've just as we find this amazing resource uh, it, we, we find us in, in ever-growing danger so it's a, a bit of a tragedy really in a way so why 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 would they lift that moratorium then uh, is this just a question of, of dollar signs lighting up in, in their eyes or, or what? Because it's, it seems short-sighted. Ah, the, most of the logging in Congo is not actually done by the big logging companies. It's mostly done on a fairly small scale in, in different places for many, many technical reasons. So the French Development Agency, the British and the Norwegians are quite keen that there should be sustainable logging, sustainable development within, within you know, th these very, very remote and, and difficult areas. So that's why they've lifted it or that they're planning to lift it is to actually give some extra cash to different communities. But whether they'd be able to stop the big boys coming in is another matter. And that is the real danger. And that's what we don't know yet. So Norway is deeply embarrassed by the whole thing and, and everyone should write immediately to Norway to tell them, don't, don't, do do it. So in general, this is a thing that we've, we've been doing this podcast for nearly 100 episodes and a theme that keeps coming out is someone somewhere has got something that it is best left where it is. So that might be oil under the Ecuadorian rainforest or peat in Congo or trees or coal in the ground or whatever. Um, but yet you've got people, poor people who need money and poor people who are poor countries who have quite strong incentives to get it out. And it always seems to us that inevitably they end up getting it out. So how, like, in general, what do you do about the fact that, like, there are very valuable natural resources, be that land or whatever, or peat, just sitting there? How do you stop the rampant, continual exploitation of this stuff? What do you do about it? Well, I mean, I think we just have to accept that the, uh, you know, the forces of capitalism, the forces of um, profit basically trump environment at most points. And we just have to accept that this is the way the world goes at the moment. So how do you 
prevent it happening on a big scale. I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking the occasional tree out and and, and mm. allowing communities to to live off their resources. I mean, they've done that for generations and generations without much problem. Um, the danger is when the big boys move in, and then you get a different scale of development. You get a different, you know, everything changes. Um, so um, it has to be done proportionately. It has to be done with with um, consultation. Um, that has to be done with the communities. It has to be done very, very carefully and slowly if necessary. And that's what you're not getting at the moment. But that's where people like Norway and the United Nations and people step in and they can do it. And and, and actually, I was very interested you should mention oil under the under, under the, the Amazon because the, that Yasuni mm. um Development, which which the, the the Chinese oil companies were given permission to, basically dig under the, the you know the most diverse forests in the in in, in the world. Not good. Yeah, it created this sort of huge outcry, and uh, so first of all, um, Ecuador said no. Well, you the world, if you pay us, we will stop this happening. But the world didn't pay. <laughs> that was that was the number one problem. But then so much pressure was put on by groups like Friends of the Earth and Greenpeace and whoever that the Ecuadorian government um, and the Chinese um, uh, oil companies agreed to go in there in a very, very different way. And I have to say, although I haven't seen it, what I'm told is that you can uh, develop um, oil fields very, very sensitively. I mean, I, I've seen them in, in southern England um, where the, 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 the kit is all behind trees. You, you would not know that that oil is coming out at all. Um, so you can do it very, very carefully. Obviously, you can't control the, the downstream stuff and the, you know, the, the awful, um, you know, where it ends up in the cars and things like that. But the point is, you can actually develop in developing countries much, much more sensitively and better than it has been done. And there's been a, a sort of a legacy of brutality by by oil companies, by mining companies, by forestry companies, who've just assumed that you can go into Africa or go into Ecuador or wherever and rip out what you like. And, and do what you want as you want, and and that's what's got to change. And I think that's where the pressure from 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 you know individuals and and, and environment groups and development groups is so important that we have to keep up the pressure on them at every point. You're not going to stop capitalism at the moment. You're going to we are going to be able to temper it in every way, and and that's where the media helps to come in because we can we can help sort of channel and and focus uh, politicians' minds and others on the problems that are you know, coming up. Now, John, you've been uh, you've been in this game for a while. Uh, you were the Guardian's environment editor for twenty seven years, I think, if I've got that right. Um, in which time, I think it's fair to say you developed a bit of a reputation for not so much observing uh, things from the sidelines when you were writing about them, but getting quite sort of stuck in. Um, t- tell us about some of the more remarkable things that have happened to you uh anything anything interesting happened in nigeria for instance or the, I mean, I mean, the remarkable thing actually is that we're not all in prison and and that goes to <laughs> friends of the earth people as well uh, i mean because frankly what what goes on in i mean in, in in britain if you protest you i mean you might get hauled off and slapped on the wrist and get a fine uh, if you if you do the same in nigeria or you do the same in indonesia you will be shot you die and that is why I think the job of environment man at, at, at the Guardian, and there were you know, several of us, um, was really to, if you like, speak for people who really had no um, no say whatever 
um, and uh, um, and who braved, I mean, incredible odds to to bring out the the, the disastrous environment policies of, of of their countries, and they're still doing so. And these, you know, we, we, today we call them defenders. These defenders of the forest, defenders of the environment, are doing this extraordinary job. And so, you know, we in the in, in, in the rich north, I fear, you know, we, we pussyfoot around, um, but they are, it's, it's life and death out there against the dams, against the forests, against the whatever it is. And it's like, so, I mean, all I could do was just go and, 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 and be with people who were putting themselves on the front line. But I've spent, um, no, I, I've spent time in Nigerian prisons and, and um, Danish prisons and um, uh, all kinds of funny prisons and uh, not, not usually for very long. I hope this scum has not inconvenienced you. <laughs> it takes more than a maniac trying to cut off my ghoulie so inconvenience me. But getting arrested is, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of part of the deal because they assume, especially if you go with a camera, they assume that you are a spy. And uh, so this happened as in last year, I think it was the year before we went to we went to Nigeria to do some stuff on corruption in the oil industry in the Niger Delta, and uh, a, a, a wonderful cameraman he pointed his his camera at, a, at an oil refinery, and that was it for the next twelve hours. And we were, you know, held overnight and and and, and intensely, intensely uh, questioned. Did you um Did you ever find yourself doing something in something wearing something in front of something where you just had one of those moments of what am I doing? How how on earth have I ended up here? You must've had a few of those in your time. Yeah, quite, 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 quite a lot actually. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, there's been, I mean, it it ranges. It's it's very, there's there's a very fine line. I mean, you see something which is outrageous. You see something which is wrong. And what do you do? Do you stand back and are you the, you know, the, 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 the disconnected observer and you, and, and, or do you get angry yourself and do you actually cross that line from journalism into activism or from whatever it is? And sometimes I accept that, you know, I've, I've, I've pushed that line quite far and, uh, and, 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 and I'm proud to have, I'm proud, I'm proud to have, of, of, you know, done my tiny, weeny little bit for I don't know the oceans or whatever it is, the forests, and 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 in the end, who cares? We're human. In the end, we're not journalists. We're human, and and if you see wrong, if you see stupidity and uh, and 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 just environmental vandalism, which is happening everywhere, I think you just have to you know get 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 dirty. I mean, frankly, um, you know, get up to your. Mm-hmm. In, 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 up to your knees in the metaphorical swamps of uh, of things. So you know, deep respect for for you know active activism around the world, and uh, which has led me into very very crazy. I mean, Greenpeace stuck me in the front of. Um, um, I was on. I was. Yeah, I was on a boat in, with um, in the North Atlantic, and Greenpeace was was. Um, Trying to stop some um, surveying of the ocean for oil by American and other companies, and uh, and they were just tossing people into the into the seas um, in front of the in front of the boats, and uh, so uh, they said, "Do you want to?" Join? I said, "Yeah, sure." So, <laughs> and uh, you hope that some you know some bugger up on the bridge of some enormous great survey ship is going to see you, because if not, you're going to get run down. So, so, John, you 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 were you were literally just bobbing up and down in the water in front of an enormous oil tanker. Do you have a little flag 
um, uh, you know, to, to, to wave. <laughs> it's like, that flag must feel rather small. It felt very, very small. Yeah. Uh, but there's, I have to say that, you know, you have a, a faith in humanity is restored when this, you know, 20,000 ton ship um, veers off, um, you know, 200 yards in front of you. And, uh, um, and then, <laughs> you know, what happens is that as you go past all the, all the crew of the ship, they, they line up on the side and they, they drop their trousers <laughs> and they bear their thumbs <laughs> to you. <laughs> and you say, yes! <laughs> Tell us about the about being in the media and writing about the environment in the in the wider sense over the past thirty years or so. Uh, ha, have you felt at times that this is this is what the media care about, and at other times that it's a backwater? Or and and where do you see the situation now? You know, do do you think it's getting anything like the attention in, in Fleet Street and others that it should? It's getting a lot more attention now than it did, and in the 20, 25 years ago, I mean, there was. I mean, there were. The, it comes in waves, doesn't it? I mean, it comes around issues. It comes around different things. So you know, climate change has taken it in a completely different direction to what you know what was going on twenty years ago, or or, or, or whatever. But uh, no, I mean, the, the, the media, as far as newspapers is concerned, and television is concerned was not very good and has not been very good at doing these things. I mean, the Guardian has been, you know, even at the Guardian, it is hard to get good stories in. I mean, you know, there, there are stories from all over the world and all kinds of different issues which are equally important in one way or another. Um, and so every environment story has to compete with, you know, with a home news story or with a whatever it is. So it's, it's, it's not easy to get any story into any paper. Um, so environment correspondents have always had it quite difficult. Um, and, uh, but, um, I think there've been, you know, some, some, some of my colleagues have, you know, I've, I've seen how, 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 you know, they've worked, we've worked, uh, together and you can put issues onto the, onto the agenda, onto the political map. Um, you know, the, the, the internet has actually, um, enormously broadened the range of, uh, media, um, and so it's much, much easier now to get information about what's going on in the forests or the, the tundra or the, the oil industry or whatever than it ever was before. It was, it was controlled by very few people. There were very few, you know, relatively few outlets. I mean, I think it's amazing, actually, when you think about it, that in 20 years, I mean, since 1992, which is really when I effectively started, um, you know, climate change is now, is now on every international agenda. And that is only because... Um, you know, a bunch of scientists had really stuck to the job, and a bunch of journalists managed to get it out there. And it's it's, it's uh, you know it fell into the into into the laps of everybody. Um, but it's now it's up there. It's 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 not going to go away. Everybody understands that. And so, in a way, we have to thank the media. On the other hand, how do we allow the I don't know the plastics scandal or the forestry scandal to go un? challenge for so long i mean that's what i find air pollution i mean for goodness sake it's the most serious bloody thing in the world and yet how much coverage has been given to it by most of the mainstream media for so long and the answer is absolutely sod all um and and again it's taken a few campaigners and a few journalists you know in different countries to really put it on the map to to ferret out that you know the, the information and, and make people aware that this is actually dangerous what we're doing is crazy and and the you know the key to a good campaign by an activist group or an environment group is usually to um have some good journalists on board or at least who 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 
who are able to assess and further the messages. I mean, maybe take it in different directions, but uh, um, but you know, we're all in it together. It's as simple as that. So so you know, you know, the media would not be able to do anything without activism. Activists, you know, absolutely desperately need media as well. Ted, you're not going to believe this. Clint Eastwood has been arrested for a crime he didn't. Oh wait, no, it's a film. So we've spent a bit of time on this podcast in the last few weeks getting, I suppose we've got a bit morose at times. We, we reported that story about all the insects dying and found it a little bit too much to deal with, to be honest. There was just a, suddenly this sense of, well, you know, is it too late? Are we buggered? What are we going to do about it? And I did, um, when you left The Guardian, you wrote a sort of valedictory piece saying, this is my this is my 27 years and I, I felt in there there was something of a tone of you know for all that we've done for everything we've tried I can't really be optimistic about the future so where are you at now maybe you know a year since you left and and are you optimistic where do you find optimism how do you stop us all going under the waves well, mm, um, it's a tricky one isn't it I mean you can make the argument that, that it's all doomed and we've had it and no Blimey, what are we all doing? Might as well, you know, go home and, and um, you know, get under the bed. No, I mean, um, life goes on. I mean, that's the whole point. It's, it, won't, it, it won't go on in the same way. Every generation, it changes for, for in, in some way. Our parents knew a different world. Our great-grandparents knew a different world to them. Um, and, you know, it's no doubt that our children will, 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 will see the world differently. It won't be as beautiful. It won't be as... as uh, uh, as as vibrant and diverse, perhaps. But on the other hand, we now know what the problem is. We didn't know the problem. We weren't aware of the problem. We're now given names to things which we didn't have before. We didn't have a name for climate change. We didn't have a name for um, so much of the deforestation and and, 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 and and pollution which is going on. We now know, and therefore, you know, armed with that information and that knowledge, we, we can change things. So, the the, the key to to, to 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 the future is not to get depressed, but to use the information and to 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 make the case in absolutely every way that that things must change. And I think the message is getting through. I do. I'm I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm, I have to say that I can I can of course get very gloomy and you know like everybody else thinking oh this is absolutely horrid, but um, but it's a challenge. I mean, you know, we can, in, in, on a small scale, on a big scale, we do know what to do. And if we don't know, then we shouldn't be in the game whatever. Um, and uh, therefore, we are at a huge advantage over our over previous generations um, who, who, who went blindly into things. Um, so I'm an optimist like that. I, I, I think that I still believe that good people, good thinking, good governance, good participation by you know on, on on every level of society will end with a good with, with with good results and you have to hold on to something and i do believe that absolutely that unless you know if we if we carry on if we um if we if we work together then we can see improvement i've, I've seen enormous improvements around the world a, a new awareness new understanding new uh new ideas new um initiatives to 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 effect really big time change and it's very very impressive and you know this is this is so much has happened in in 25 years 
um, that it's you know, if you think well you know if all of those improvements continue to grow exponentially as they have been growing then in another 25 years we could find ourselves in a much much better situation it won't be perfect of course no society ever is but it could be an awful lot better and i think that you know your children's children may look back on this time not to say well this was the this disastrous time which we'd like to think it is but actually it was a time of enormous hope and optimism so so you know we've got the solutions we know what the problem is um and so it's just a question of doing it so well just do it let's get on with it John, thank you so much for speaking to us and, um, and sharing your thoughts and, and stories. Um, it's, uh, it's really wonderful to hear. How can people uh, keep in touch with you? Uh, you're on Twitter, I think, are you? I'm on Twitter. I'm not very good at Twittering. I'm not, I mean, I've got followers, but I don't, I don't actually communicate very well with them. I, <laughs> I mean, definitely. And um, I've got an email. It's uh, vidaljohn1 at gmail.com. So um, by all means, you know, send me stuff and, you know, insult me and, and, uh, and chuck me out. I mean, that's, you know, I'm, 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 I'm open access, as, it's, uh, <laughs> as they say. And uh, thank you very much indeed for asking good questions. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Okay, bye. Bye, both of you. Thank you. Oh, that was very, very nice, wasn't it? That was that was treacle in my ears. I love listening Ooh. to, well, you know, like metaphorical treacle. Oh, but, okay. but, but people like John who can expand and, uh, and and pontificate on these things i find very uh, attractive and endearing how, how did you how did you reflect to his final point there because you were you had your sort of moment I did. Whenever it was, I, that I piece had my was doing an all, my doing an all moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, what it was was I was up in Orkney. It was like this time last year almost, and uh, it was all dark and cold because that's what I like. And then I read that piece, and I drank far too much coffee, and then I walked for four hours around Orkney, talking to myself. Genuinely, I could like somewhere I've got. Yeah, listen, this is what I said. That I would leave this world that suddenly seemed so vast. Like, yeah, and it had this, it did have this kind of effect that, like, here's a bloke who's been doing this for 27 years. And the piece said, effectively, I've been doing this for ages. I've done loads of wonderful stuff. I've met loads of great people, but I'm not optimistic about the future. It's really hard to be. Um, and I thought, well, Christ, well, what am I going to do then? But I was really struck that actually, I don't know if it's just because he's been out for a year or because, you know, writing a piece is a different thing to talking to people, but he seemed more upbeat about it, didn't he? And yeah. um, and he is right. I think he is right. I, I do remind myself, and we we had this when we talked to Dr. Carl back in episode twenty three, if you remember, and Chris Packham in episode. You know, people that we talk to will generally say, "I've got faith that there are good people out there doing good things." And that thing mm. about we know what this is now. We put names on these things. We understand that Pete is a thing you should leave in the ground. We understand that climate change is bad. We understand that Exxon are bastards. For example, <laughs> allegedly, um, and um, you know that's we we know this stuff, and okay, stuff isn't moving massively quickly, but yeah, I, you've got to cling. He's right. You've got to cling on to something. You've got to cling on to the fact that most people are decent, most people know what's going on, and most people want to stop it. 
And uh, it may not happen overnight. It may not happen perfectly. But I'm relatively confident, I think, in my guts that we won't totally bugger everything up. Well, that is, that is good news. And I'm, I'm delighted to hear it. So that is just about it for this episode of... Ah, look at Oi. your face. Well, Oi. you know, don't speak... Bit. Well, okay, you do it then. No, 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 you carry on. I am carrying on. That <laughs> is just about it for episode 96 of Sustainababble. Thank you to John Bedal, superb man of words and wisdom for all of his thoughts. Uh, thank you, as always, to the legendary Dickie Moore for the music that starts and ends and intertwinkles this podcast. And thank you, all. Just thanks, I suppose. Yeah, I'll come up with something at the end if, you, uh, if you're struggling. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at hello at sustainababble.fish uh, or tweet us at the Babble Wagon, or of course find us on Facebook. Just search for Sustainababble on that there Facebook. Mm. And all I've been doing some investigation of our statistics. And did you know that although we are very big in Denmark, you know we're really <laughs> Massive big in Denmark. We're really big in Canada. Are we? Yeah, we've got loads of Canadian listeners. Hello, Canadian listeners. Oh, I love Canadians. Yeah. Even more. I've always loved Canadians, but now I love them even more. Hello, Canada! They're not even a real country anyway. Oh, if you'd like to invite us over, we are available. A- Any time. Now would be good. N- now's good. <laughs> a bit chilly, actually. Great stuff. Well, we will be back next week with Sustainable 97. Must, must, must organise the Babble Party for 100. Uh, we'll, we'll get on with that. Um, in the meantime, I'm off to go and jump in front of an oil tanker and bob around with a flag, because uh, that sounds fun and terrifying in equal measures. All right, well, be careful, love. Bye. <laughs> Bye. I would just say I'm a journalist and former Guardian Environment Editor. Splendid. Something like that? Yeah. I mean, anything you like. You know, stupid old bugger. Stupid old, <laughs> stupid old bugger it is. Very good. Uh, John, that was...